Amen? Next Sunday at one o'clock, we will be having a baptism service. And uh, if you have accepted Jesus Christ as the Lord and the Savior of your life, yet have not been baptized in water, it's time. It's time. This, you need to go on the website, and you need to sign up, and you need to do that. Not so that you can be saved, not so that you can earn favor with God, but because you have favor with God. Not because you want to, this to save you, but because you are saved. It's just that act of just simple obedience that says, God, the old is gone, the new has come. And Lord, I want to join you. As you died for my sin, I want to join you in dying to my old and rising to the new. And it's a point of privilege for us. And so if you have not, I'm asking that you would go to the website, get signed up, and, uh, and please do that. So we know, again, we'll have a little certificate for you and all of that. But, and again, I, I've been asked as well that you know, some people, especially in this community, have, well, I was baptized as a little kid. Listen, you know what? Again, if you've made a decision your own decision to follow Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, then don't stay away from the waters of baptism just because you were as a kid. There's nothing, nowhere does it say, well, you can't do that again. No, this is your choice. This is your decision, and I pray that you will do that. Amen? Please go get signed up, though. I, uh, I want to share with you today out of Luke chapter 3. Luke, we are in chapter 3. Yeah. I want to share with you, uh, I want you to pray. I, again, I, I, I obviously shared this message at the 9 o'clock service. I was totally shocked with, um, I did not think that this message was going to be at all offensive to anybody. But I was wrong. <laughs> um, but I, I also feel like, well, I guess I'm in fairly good company then with what it is that God wants to say. I hope and pray that you came today with an open heart and an open mind. I hope and pray that you came because you want to hear what God has to say, what you desire, what, that you desire to hear what God wants to speak into your heart. Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you, Lord, by the power of your spirit would move to and fro in this place to show yourself, Lord God, to the hearts of those in need, that we could receive you, Lord, in our hearts, that we could receive the revelation of you in our minds, that, God, in our decisions and choices, it will, you would be transformed from the very innermost part of our being. Holy Spirit, I pray that today you would open our eyes to see what you're doing, what it is you have for me in my life. And I pray, God, don't be limited by the frailty and and the inability of this flesh. Lord God, let the words come forth that would be from your throne. And Lord, if I get in the way, I pray, Lord, that you would cause the hearer to hear what you're saying. So Lord, I pray for revelation. Revelation to our hearts. I pray, Lord, that you would use this time to, uh, Lord, to build your church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are going to look at Luke chapter 3. In Luke chapter 3, this is one of the stories, one of the few stories that's included in all four of the Gospels, which means, you know, again, it, it, not that it means it's, well, it does mean that God chose to make sure that this story was included in all four Gospels, which makes it very unique. 
makes it something which, I, again, I believe to be special because God chose to include it in all and each of the four Gospels. And so Luke chapter 3 happens around the time of 29 AD. And I want to take the time today to go through the, the first uh, few verses here, and uh, we'll finish up with it next week. So in verse 1, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, so he was the Caesar at the time, Tiberius was the Caesar, and there was a town named Tiberius, which was named after him, which was the custom of that day. And so in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, he was the Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Ituria and Trachonanus, and Lysanias, the tetrarch of Abilene. Do you know how many times I practiced those names? <laughs> I just decided to go ahead and say it fast. My, I, I, when I copied and pasted the scripture into my notes, in my, uh, my, uh, every single one of them came up, spell check, spell check. <laughs> Verse two, during the high priesthood of Ananus and Caiaphas. So he gives us all of the leadership that was there in that day. He gives us all of the, the, the state leadership, the national leadership that was there, the state leadership, all of the religious leaders of that day. And he goes from the top. He starts with the national leaders and he works his way down to all of those that are local. And it gives us this indication of who was in charge at the time when all of this was happening so we can get, again, a time frame of what was going on by who those leaders were. So all of this was going on around A.D. 29. And then something very important is said. And it says this. And it says, the word of God came to John. Who's John? John is the son of Zacchaeus in the wilderness. So the word of God came to John, the son of Zacchaeus in the wilderness. And what this was, was he was declaring the fulfillment of a prophecy that happened in, in Luke chapter 1 and verse 76 when Zechariah said, my son will be born and he will be a prophet. And he, did, and he declared that. And here, he, you know, he says the, that my son will come and he will preach and he will teach and he will declare the way of the Lord and he will, he will go before the Lord Jesus. And here we see this prophecy is being fulfilled because he says the word of the Lord came to John. And this is a statement that is aligned with the Old Testament. It's something that happened throughout the Old Testament. I looked and I found different places, but the base number, around 222 times in the Old Testament, does God say, the word of the Lord came to. The word of the Lord came to. And, and almost every time, it was a prophet. The word of the Lord came to, name the prophet. And, and that's what happened in this time. And so all of this was going on. And the word of the Lord came. God revealed himself. He was revealing himself. That's what God did when, the, when prophets, when people were prophesying. And the prophets would go to God and the prophet would get a word from God. And then they would turn around. And God was expecting the prophet to be his mouthpiece, to be the, his his the hand of a ready writer that he would either declare with his mouth or declare with his pen what the Lord was saying, what God was saying in a message that he had for the world. And there was these prophetic voices and this is what was going on. They were articulating the message of God to the world around them. And so it says here that the word of the Lord came to John who was, again, he's confirming that this John was the son of Zechariah, who we already over here declared in the first chapter that in this study that he was doing, 
He, in this investigation that Luke was undertaking, he had declared, okay, Zechariah said this. Now he's confirming that this is the one who Zechariah spoke about. And then we're told that he lives out in the wilderness. Why would he add that? Or why would that be important for us to know? Okay, we know he's John. We know that he's uh, the word of the Lord came to John, and we know he's the son of Zechariah. But why would they add that in the wilderness thing? Again, I think, obviously, he declares it, so it's important for us to know. And if you look at the whole of this context of the Scripture, he is sharing with you and I all these parts and pieces of the establishment. All of the who's who's in leadership. All of the establishment that's been mentioned. And he's told us who the secular establishment leadership would be. He's told us who the religious Jewish leadership would be. And then he says, after that, he says, and John... John was out in the wilderness, which again, he's saying to us today that John wasn't under the jurisdiction of either. John wasn't under the jurisdiction. Honestly, and if you think about it, that is why prophets tended to wander out in the desert, out in the wilderness, out in the woods, out by themselves. For John, he didn't, listen, I don't belong to Caesar. And he's also, and I don't belong to the temple. I belong to the Lord. And that gave him the freedom to call the nation. That also gave him the freedom to call the people of God to repentance of their sin. Because both had an inclination towards sin, towards corruption. So John, out in the wilderness, didn't come under the leadership, or he wasn't under the, um, the dominion of Caesar, nor was he under the dominion of the temple. He was under the dominion of God. And he goes on to say this, and he went into all the region around the Jordan, the entire region. If you look at that, that's a pretty, it doesn't look very big when you look at it, you know, in, in context to everything, but it, when you look at it and trying to walk back and forth, that's a pretty big region. All what we do know is that in that place of the region, we know that that's where John was baptizing many people. We've read about that. You've heard about that. Many people were baptized, including the Lord Jesus Christ, were baptized in the Jordan River. I went to look and see where exactly is that. We don't know exactly where that all happened. There's different people with different theories about all of that as to what happened. There's a pretty good idea scholars have of the general idea. But honestly, what they know is what the Word tells us. They know the general region, <laughs> just like the word declares where John would have been baptizing. And as I was studying and looking at all this, there was one thing that was interesting, and uh, again, I think it has meaning. One thing that I learned as I was looking at all of that and looking at the Jordan River and where it all goes and where it begins, if you head upstream to where the Jordan River actually begins, it really is the combination of two rivers, two two. two uh, 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 what do they call them? Tributaries, yes, but uh, to, again, where the water begins to, uh, I got the picture in my mind and I just went completely blank. Anyway, they were, there are streams that come together and where they come together, it forms the, the River Jordan. And so these two places, one is at the base of Mount Hermon, where a spring, that's the word, come on, yeah. <laughs> 
There's a spring at the, for, at, the, at the base of Mount Hermon, and then over in Dan, about six, seven miles away, there's another spring that forms a stream that comes together, and where the two come together, that's where you see the formation of the Jordan River, and the Jordan River from that point flows down into the Sea of Galilee, and then from the Sea of Galilee, the Jordan River flows through the Jordan Valley and down to the Dead Sea. Amen? Well, it's, what's interesting is at the top of one of those streams, there was this great big hole, this big abyss that was there, and down in the bottom of it was where that stream had formed to, that would start to flow from Mount Hermon. And it, what happened, what was interesting is that in that time, there was a, uh, at that place, they had a temple that was built to the Greek god Pan. Pan was, a, again, it was a, Pan was not a very, that was a, there was a lot of really wicked, evil stuff, a lot of sexual perversion, a lot of things like that that happened under the worship of the Greek god Pan. And one of the things that would happen in that area at the base of Mount Hermon was that there was a lot of earthquakes. And so these earthquakes would happen, and the people in that area, the pagans in that area, believed that the earthquakes were because Pan was angry with them. And so what the people did was they thought, well, Pan is angry, and it got them upset. That's where we get the word panic. That, that's where that whole concept of panic comes from. So the people would panic. And in their panic, what they did was they built an altar at the base of Mount Hermon, right there where the spring began. And what they would do is they would make blood sacrifices. They would make human sacrifices at this place. And they would take the humans and they would throw the sacrifices into the abyss. And if the water would then flow out in a, in a, in a waterfall and begin the stream, and if the blood of that person showed up in the stream, then the God hand did not accept their sacrifice. But when they threw the person in and the person disappeared and no blood showed, that was a sign that Pan had accepted the sacrifice. So literally upstream from this region where John was baptizing was pagan worship. And it's stated that oftentimes the pagans weren't the only ones. In fact, you'll see that Jesus, because of what I'm gonna share with you here in a second, Jesus oftentimes went into the middle of this dark pagan place. He took his disciples so that he could begin to speak to the people that were there. And one of the things that I know he had to have been doing was going, he went into this pagan area to speak to the Jews because the Jews were going to the make sacrifices and be a part of what was going on to the Greek god Pan. And I thought about that. You know what? In their panic, we know what a lot of the religious people did? They ran to secular places. They ran to secular idols. They ran to secular things. They ran to Pan. And I thought, wow. What's my Pan? What's your pan? Where do you run when you're in panic? So as a result though, John was baptizing people in the Jordan River and there is a very good possibility that John was taking people and he was baptizing people in the waters of the Jordan that very well could have had blood in the waters that had been sacrificed to the God Pan 
from that place upstream. And the point, my point in sharing that with you is that when Luke is reporting all of this, it's all happening in the context of some great paganism, some idolatry, right in the middle of all of this. And this is where John went into this region. And it says, and he went into all the region around the Jordan doing what? Proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, three things just quickly I want to touch on right here. Ideas that he just shares. Three big ideas, sin, repentance, and baptism. And I think this is vital. And I think it's extremely important. We've heard these words, but I don't know that we really truly understand what it is that John is telling us, even in the church. Because the first thing he talks about, he talks about our problem. Listen, you know what our problem is? I know that there's a long list of litany that we could come to. You know what our problem is? Our problem is sin. Your problem is sin. The problem in our lives is sins because we are sinners. We are sinners by choice because we are sinners by nature. We are, we are sinners in, in the birth. We, look at Psalms. In the, in the Psalms, David says that he was wicked from his mother's womb. And we're the same way. We are sinners from our mother's womb. This is one of these places where I hear people say this. They say, well, I, you know, when did you get saved? Well, I just always been, you know, I've just always been in church. I've just always been saved. That's not biblical. You aren't born a Christian. You're born a sinner. We all have a nature of sin. Each and every one of us, our problem is sin. And just like David, we are sinners from the womb because we are of the seed of men. We are born of the seed of Adam and of Eve. We are born with the sinful nature that is upon us and, and the sin that Adam came, brought upon himself and Eve brought upon herself in the garden is transmitted to each and every one of us because there's not a single one of us here that's not born of the seed of man. Therefore, every single one of us is born with the nature of sin, the nature of sin in our hearts. It's transmitted to each and every one. You, me, we are sinful by our nature. You're born with this. We have got to understand this. And so what happens is because we are born with the nature of sin, what we do is we then begin to commit acts of sin. Okay, there's the nature of sin, which because we have this nature of sin, therefore we commit acts of sin. And most people in their lifetime, what we end up trying to do is we try to contend with the acts of sin. If I can just quit doing this, if I can just quit doing that, why can't I quit doing this? Why can't I quit doing that? I've tried, I've tried, I've tried, I've tried, I've tried, I've tried. It seems like I give up one sin and I start with another. It's like I told you last week. I can quit smoking if I started chewing. I can quit that sin if I start this one. And we're always contending with the acts of sin and wondering why we always feel like we're a failure. Because what we want to do is we think that we need to deal with the acts of sin so that that will then begin to help us to take care of the nature of sin. And it's never going to work that way. It will only work. The only way that you'll ever be able to deal with the acts of sin is to first deal with the nature of sin, the condition that you have from birth. Amen. <laughs> so sin is our condition. And church... It's our problem. 
And I don't care how much you like or dislike what I'm saying about all of this, that you're not going to change God's mind about it. You're not. We all have a problem, and it's sin. And then he says the answer to that is repentance. And, and I'm going to spend most of next week, I'm, I, wanna, I, I just really believe that even in the church, we have got a misunderstanding of repentance. We, we don't understand what it is. So I'm going to spend more time with that next week, not a ton of time with it this week, but basically repentance is a change of heart and mind. It's when we change our heart, when we change our mind about what's going on in our life. It's when we acknowledge that in the light of the holiness and the goodness of God, that we are sinful and that God is holy. And because God is holy, our sinfulness is a problem to him. That's a problem that needs to be dealt with if we're ever gonna be restored back to the relationship that God wants us to have with him. Something has to happen in dealing with the sin in our life. And he says, it's repentance. And repentance is turning from sin to God. It's making that decision to say no to sin and to turn to God by faith through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen, Pastor Mark. Come on, you guys, help me out here. Listen, if you're, get, if you're going blank on me right here, then we haven't even gotten to the stuff that's gonna really. Yeah. All right, amen. Time to go home. The third part of that that we talked about in, in, in this big, three big ideas, so there's sin, there's repentance, and then it's demonstrated in baptism. So baptism, let me just again talk to you, tell, share a little bit about some of the research that I, I did in looking up some of these things about baptism. The Jews, to, baptism in the Jewish eye was different than what it is that we completely or what we go through. They had, in the Jewish culture, they had a couple of different baptisms or happened in a couple of different ways. For the Jew, for the Jew to be baptized, and so stick with me here, for the Jew to be baptized was a ritual purification, that's what it was. It was a ritual. It was for the restoration of the condition of ritual purity. All right? It was a ritual. And the Jew was baptized that way. They would go into the water to be ritually cleansed, restored back to that condition. For the Gentile, for the non-Jewish person that was converting to Judaism, or that's what the Jews believed that they were doing, was that they were coming. Listen, if you as a Gentile, you want to become like me, a Jew, then you need to be baptized. It was a proselyte baptism. It was a place where, okay, this is where, okay, you need to go into the pools of baptism so that you can become like us. And for you, you Gentile, to become like us, you need forgiveness. You need to be cleansed of your sin. You need repentance. So I'm explaining that to you because I want you to see that for the Jew, it was just a ritual cleansing. For the Gentile, it was a baptism of repentance so that they could become like us. And so what did John do? John was baptizing all these Jews in a baptism of repentance. Whoa, wait a second. That is unusual. That's weird. Wait a minute. We don't do that. Whoa, whoa, John, John, John. We don't do that. 
That's, you got this all wrong, John. So John, this was weird. And And then not only that, John, you're not a Levite. John, you're you're not even a holy man. You're you're not. Did the temple send you? No, John, wait a second. John, what did John do? John just walked out of the wilderness and starts preaching like an old-time preacher. He starts preaching like an old-time prophet. You know, there's like, kind of like those old style Billy Graham evangelistic movements that people would just come. Listen, I don't even believe in all that. I just want to go watch. And John starts preaching. And you know what happened? People started coming. People were coming out. You hear the message of this guy. Again, what is it that you think that people would come from far and wide to go hear this guy out of the wilderness who's not even a Levite? He's not even really a prophet. He's not even ordained by the temple. Who, why are we going to go listen to this guy wearing camel hair with bug's legs in his teeth? What in the world? Why would we go do that? And then they go out there and the people come and the Jews are coming and he's, and he's calling out for people to come and be baptized, to repent of their sin and be baptized, Gentiles and Jews. Again, I want you to see this because this was in the culture of that day. This was all very unusual to be happening. And so then we, we go to verse 4. And again, remember, this is Luke who is describing what's happening in all this. And Luke wants to make a point because Luke is an investigative reporter and he's laying this all out to give proof to what it is that he's learned by eyewitnesses and studies and all of that. And he goes on in verse four and he says, as is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet. So Luke is quoting Isaiah chapter 40 here. And he's showing what he's doing is he's showing that the prophecy about the coming of the one who would prepare the way for Jesus ultimately was fulfilled in this man, this man named John. He is fulfilling this prophecy, and that's what he's sharing with us. And then he goes on to quote Isaiah chapter 40, and he says this. He says, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways. And then verse six, and all flesh I want you to say that. Say it. All flesh. All flesh flesh will see. It does not say will receive. It says all flesh will see the salvation of God. Listen. Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It does not mean that every knee that bows and every tongue that confesses have received him as Lord. It means that everyone, everyone will see the salvation of God. And he's declaring to you and I that there's gonna come a savior, that God is gonna come and God is gonna save his people. And he's gonna save his people from what? He's gonna save them from their sin. He is going to deal with the consequences of sin because he knows without a savior that comes to deal with the nature of sin, people will continue to die in their sin and the consequence of that will be hell, damnation, 
eternal separation from God, death. And that is, what, that is what sin will do. So he's saying, you're the, I'm gonna, the Savior, God is going to come, and he's going to be the Savior that will come and deliver you from that. So again, if he's coming to deliver us from sin, I think it's really important that in the church we understand sin, that we know what it is he's trying to say to us. This is really important, especially with this being true, that sin is your condition. Look, you know, we all probably at different times, I mean, every time, isn't it, like every time you sneeze or every time you get the sniffles or everything, it's like, oh man, do I have COVID? <laughs> Look, you can wonder if you have COVID. You don't have to wonder if you have sin. You are born, you are infected, you have got it. And you know what? I'm sorry to say, but the doctor wants you to know there is no hope, there is no way out, you're gonna die. Unless you receive the Savior. He's the only way. There is no other way. You have a condition. How many of you were taught to have, how many of you were taught to sin? Any of you, did your parents teach you how to have evil thoughts? No. We don't because it's part of our nature. It's the nature of sin that's in us. And that includes our thoughts. That includes your bad thoughts, your dirty thoughts. That includes the words that come from our mouth, the deeds that we do, the omission of sin, the things that we don't do, the commission of sin, doing what we should not do. That means our, our spiritual imperfections, our unholiness before a holy God. It means all the moral transgressions, those places and things where we did or thought or acted against God's holy law, against God's holy will, against God's holy character. That's all sin. And if any of that describes anything that you've ever done as a part of your life, then you are a sinner. And there is no hope without a Savior. And so what did the Savior bring? He says this, the key, the, all the, is repentance. It's repentance. And that's what John's talking about. You know, again, this, this creates a lot of theological issues for some people. Well, wait a second. I said the magic sinner's prayer. But John's saying, I came to bring a baptism of repentance. Are the, the Lord, the one that's coming, is coming to bring repentance. Repentance is the key to the forgiveness of sin. Amen. It's, it's required. We all must repent. And the way we repent, what, he's, what Luke is describing to us here, the way that you repent is by the coming of the Lord who will bring salvation, who will come and he will save us. And John, he's the one that the word tells us that Isaiah prophesied about. He's the one that's gonna come and prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, amen. Thank you, Lord. Come on, amen. Yes. That's Luke describing things there. And then he turns and he starts to quote John. This is pretty hardcore. He, he is talking to those that were coming out 
and he's talking to the religious and he, and he calls them a, a brood of vipers. Yikes. You know that this is going to get a little uncomfortable, right? If for nobody else, it's going to be uncomfortable for me. Verse 7, and he said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers. First off, let me just clarify, that's a negative term. Okay, that's, that's not good, especially to the Jews that day that would have known what those words said in Genesis that used the serpent, the snake, the viper to describe those, who, to describe Satan to describe those in sin, those who were in folly, those who were apart from God. So they would have understood that. And so he says, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the, the wrath to come? And then he says this in verse eight, bear fruit, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Church, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And you know what that means? Act like it. Act like it. Bear fruits in bearing with repentance. Stop thinking that you can repent and just go ahead and keep on doing what it is that you've been doing that God said don't do. Don't think that you can just go ahead and say, well, I repented and keep on sinning the way you've always sinned and never think twice about it. That's not repentance. You need that. You know what that is? That's just acting religious. That's just creating a bunch of leaves on the tree so that nobody can see the real fruit and thinking that we're okay. At some point, Jesus is going to come along and he's going to look through the leaves and he's going to find there's no figs. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. You can't just keep on doing all the things you've been doing. Doesn't mean that we're perfect. Doesn't mean that we never do things that are in sin. But it means that we aren't in perfection, but we are headed in a direction. He says, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And by the way, do not begin to say to yourselves, well, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones. Come on, God is able to take the hard-hearted, those who you never dreamed would ever be able to accept Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior because they were so hard-hearted that you didn't think anything can crack through that shell. You know what? Some of you are here today and that was you. Some of you were full-blown pagans that God broke through the hardened heart because he wanted to reveal himself to you and he broke through and he showed himself as a God of love and mercy to you. He can cause even the stones to raise up children for Abraham. And then he says this in verse nine. Even now, the ax is laid to the root of the tree. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit. He just told us what that good fruit is, the fruits of repentance. He says that the ax is laid at the root. Listen, God cares about the fruit. But you need to know the ax is at the root. You need to know what it is that you're building your faith on. 
You need to know what it is that's coming forth from your life, what it is that's being, that, that you're finding nourishment in. Where is it? Because without the fruit, the ax is at the root. We have to understand this. Let me just also say, this is New Testament. I know we don't like that, but he says, every tree that therefore does not bear the fruit, and he just talked about the fruit that he wants to see, is cut down and thrown into the fire. Have any, did any of you notice in that John sounds a little angry? <laughs> see, I, I told, now I feel like I got a bunch of deer in the headlights. <laughs> John sounds a little angry, doesn't he? Yeah. I mean, he does to me. He sounds, uh, honestly, he sounds irate. Why? What? I mean, all these people, think about it. All these people, all they're doing is coming out because they want to hear what he has to say. They want to come hear him preach. They want to come to his church. They want to hear his message. They want to respond to that message. And John starts calling them names. Why is he so mad? In church, I believe this, and I'll, I'll share with you why. The reason I believe that John was so, uh, so upset about all this, because all these people that were coming were just filled with religion. They were just filled. They were the religious. And, and honestly, if you look at or you go to or you read about Israel, they still, they know nothing of this message yet. It still hasn't sunk in. Because they're still just simply filled with religion and tradition. And John calls it a brood of vipers. A brood of vipers, why? And I think that oftentimes it's a residual of what it is that happens in the church today. Is even in our call for salvation, what do we do? We call out to the sinners. You sinners, you, you need to repent. You sinners, you need to come to Jesus. You sinners need to repent of your sin. You need to stop. All of you, you filthy Gentiles need to stop being filthy Gentiles. You uncircumcised Philistines, you need to stop. You need to change your ways. You need to repent. So today, if you're a drunkard, and you're a glutton, you're an idolater, you're an adulterer, you're a thief. You need to repent. And then you need to have a nice, religious, pious life. And again, that's half true. Yes, you need to repent. But the other side of that that John is confronting, and this, I think, will... You just think about this and let this sink in. I believe the other half of this is that John, the truth is, is that, you, that the religious people needed to repent of their religion. They needed to repent. The sinner needed to repent. The religious needed to repent. These people, though, I, just think about this. This crowd, these people were just coming out because they wanted to hear John. They wanted, to, they wanted to come. These were devout people. 
These were people that were serious about their religion. They were serious about what they believed, and they really believed that they were doing what it was that God wanted them to do. These people had taken days off of work to come out. They had walked all the way out to where John was or where they thought he was, and then they searched him out, and they found him, and they found where he was, and they were all out there because they wanted to hear this preacher. They wanted to hear the sermon. They wanted to hear this message from God. They wanted to hear the prophet of God. They wanted to learn about God. They wanted to be cleansed. All we did was we came to hear a message and I wanted to go into the water and be baptized like everybody else was. And he rebukes us. Hardcore. You brood of vipers. You are a snake's den. Why? I believe it was because they were so religious and sanctimonious. And that's the most offensive sin of all. The sin of religion. Look, I, I, again, we could debate this back and forth, but I have the microphone on. <laughs> I believe it's so grievous to God because in the, in the name of religion, in the name of God, people are drawing people into a religious attitude, a religious following that has no ability to save them and making people feel comfortable and confident because they're religious. I think God hates it because in the name of God, religion is sending, taking, offering a lot of people a destination of hell. You brood of vipers. You know what Paul called religion, his religion in Philippians 3? Paul called it dung. Big pile of dung is what he was calling it. Trash, rubbish, different versions say. And the reason is because religion is simply man's effort to try to please God. It's our, it's our effort, and yes, it is our effort to please God, but in our efforts, we can't do that. It's man's effort to connect with God apart from Jesus. It's our way by traditions. It's our, our effort to earn, to by good works, by our attendance, by our performance, by our duty, by our devotion, by our membership. It's our ability or our desire to try to earn the favor of God. And to God, that is detestable. And I think it's detestable for two reasons. One, it cannot and it never will work. It doesn't work. And two, I think it's detestable to God because God is a God of grace. And our God is a God who shines his grace. He's a God of grace. Listen, who in here received from Jesus because we deserved it? None of us deserve it. Not one. We are all sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. None of us are deserving. Because of we are all sinners, none are deserving. Yet God is a God of love, a God of, of mercy, a God of salvation, a God of grace. And because of that, he gives us a gift, the gift of life to those not who deserve it, but for those who will receive it. It's what God does for us. Religion Religion wants you to earn. Religion wants you to merit so that, that we can be smug and we can be prideful and we can be righteous. 
It's still happening in Jerusalem. I had a, I had a friend that had gone, and uh, they were going to the Wailing Wall, and he, and he said, man, you gotta be really careful, because at certain times of the day, if you're not careful on the way to the Wailing Wall, people will run you over to get there first. Well, that's crazy. Be careful going to the Wailing Wall, because you could get hurt. <laughs> I don't know, I think it's kind of weird. But still today, there's so many devout rules, so many regulations, so much religion, what you wear, where you go, what you eat, what you drink. And and why do they do that? Again, it's not different, again, in Judaism or any other religion, you can think, well, why do they do that? Because in every single one of those religious systems, if you do that, when you obey, you are closer to him. The more you obey, the holier you are. The more you obey, the more distinct you are. The more you obey, the better you are. And the better you are, the better you are than those around you. Look, I was thinking about that. I said, gosh, God, you know, some of that is, that was offensive. That was offensive then, it's offensive now. And some of you are offended with some of this. Because of the religion in our lives, the religion that we've learned. Some of us, were offended by this. But I was reminded as I was thinking about that. You guys, we have got to remember, even as we may feel offended, that each and every one of us, if you follow the Lord Jesus Christ, then you're worshiping a guy who got crucified. And now you know why. This was just John who was preparing the way for the coming of the Lord. I find it funny uh, to to look at pictures. I probably should have put some up, but in Israel, you see, you know, and you've seen them, and they still, and so you see it in New York, you see it all over the place, men wearing the hats, the hats that show that we are the sons of Abraham. And so they wear the hats to show we are the sons of Abraham. And then what they do is they have different colored hats that will show not only are we the sons of Abraham, but by the color of our hat, we're declaring what rabbi we follow. And so these guys wear different colored hats because they want you to know that we follow the best rabbi. I have the dust of the best rabbi on me. And we have the most devout rules. And we have the greatest regulations. And we have the best religious system. And we have the real traditions. And we're the most devout. And we are the most holy. And John says, you brood of vipers. You brood of vipers. And and listen, don't, this was a caution that God gave me. Don't in this message let yourself become self-righteous. Because this happens in every religion, including Christianity. It very easily can happen in us. What do we do? There's this tendency, well, you know what, we need... God didn't finish this, so we need to make up some rules. Oh, I know it's not in the Bible, but these are rules. These are Christianity rules that we need to have. And then we subscribe ourselves to these rules that we make up, and then we try to get others to subscribe to them too, because if somebody else will come, well, then it must be true. And so we create these rules because God gave us this book, but he didn't finish it. And we want to continue it, God. We want to, God, we need to improve it. We need to finish it for you, Lord. We did, come on, God, we're going to help you out here with some rules and regulations and traditions that you forgot. 
And religion is when we begin to love those traditions in place of Jesus. When we start to build our lives on the tradition rather than the relationship. There are people today that would much rather cling to their tradition because it's easier. We would much rather cling to our heritage, our legacy, our membership, our lineage, our language, our nationality. We would much rather cling to these things than Christ, or many would. And John says this. In light of what Jesus was coming to do, John said this. That's offensive to God when you live that way. It's an offense. In fact, it's the worst sin of all. I believe it grieves the heart of God. Why? Because we tend to be religious people, and when we're religious people, we tend to tell the sinners that they need to repent. We hear it in church all the time. Repent. And, and we do. Again, not saying that we don't. We need to, and we can't steer away from the message of repentance. But what do we do? Well, that seems to be the only message we ever hear. We all have heard, you sinners need to repent. When's the last time you heard anybody in church stand up and say, you religious people need to repent of your religion? This is what John's doing. And this is why people are attracted to Jesus that are not attracted to the church. This is why people are repelled from Jesus that aren't repelled by religion. Why? Because religion will always, church always, religion will always end up in one of two places. Pride or despair. Always. What happens is we get these rules, we get these regulations, and we find out all these things that we're supposed to do, all these man-made rules, all these, these things that we are, are God-given rules. And listen, God did give us a whole bunch of the law, but he gave us the law so that we could make sure that we knew that these were the standards of a holy God and that none of us could keep that standard. All of us fall short of what? Of the standard that God has given. There is no way that any of us can keep that law. Yet what do we do? We try and we try and we try. And if we succeed because I can find somebody else that's in worse shape than me, somebody else that's sinning worse than me, somebody else that's not living the way I'm living, and if I can find somebody that's doing worse than me, I can feel like I've succeeded. I'm better than. And what happens? We walk in pride. And pride is the greatest sin of all. That's what got Satan kicked out of heaven. Or what happens is we fail. All these rules and all these things, and I tried, I tried, I tried, and I just can't seem to do it. I've fallen short. I don't know what to do. And we fail. And because we fail, we end up in despair. We end up grieved. We end up sad because we can't approach God because we have failed Him. I'm not worthy of coming into His presence. And I failed. But church... When you hear about Jesus, the reality that Jesus lived a life that you have not lived, that Jesus lived a life that you cannot live. In fact, Jesus lived the life that you will never be able to live. 
and that Jesus, he died a death that you deserve to die because he bore sin that was your sin that he didn't deserve, but he took it upon himself to be the sacrifice for you. And he died a death that you deserve to die. And it was your death that he chose to take upon himself and take unto the grave for you to pay the penalty that you deserved. And he took that upon himself. And you need to know that not only that, but he arose to give you a gift that you'll never be able to earn. And when you start hearing a message like that, that has set you free. Freedom from religion and religiosity. Listen, we don't, I, I don't obey the word or obey the law or obey the rules and obey those things because I want to be saved. I'm saved, so in my heart, I want to please my Father and I'm going to do the best I can. But I know that no matter how far I fall, no matter how bad I fail, that if I'll get back up and turn my heart to Him, He accepts me back by the grace that He shared with me in salvation. about the grace of God. And when we come into a place of truly experiencing the grace of God, we have no more need for the religion of man. And today, some of you, some of you do, some of you today, you need to repent of your sin. Stop just being sorry and start repenting. Change your mind about some of the things and get in agreement with what God says. Stop to listen. Stop doing what God said don't do. Stop because you're saved. Stop thinking that it's okay for you to go out and have sex whenever you want. Stop thinking because you're saved, you get to go out and get hammered whenever you want. Stop thinking that you get to treat people whichever way you want because I'm saved. Well, that's just who I am. No. That's not repentance. What that is, that's a description of somebody that is in dangerous territory because the ax is at the root. And this is just a warning, church. Listen, I love you. But this is what he's talking to us about. Some of you need to repent of your sin. But some of you, others in this place, need to repent of your religion. You need to repent of your sanctimonious attitude towards those who may not be in the place that you are, who may not have been at church as often as you've been, who may not hear from the Lord the way you hear from the Lord. Some of you need to repent for making those traditions and man-made rules, the legalism and the moralism more important and allowing that to keep you apart from the grace of God that was given through Jesus Christ, your Lord. Some of you need to repent. And I want you to see that this is all that John was doing here in the region of the Jordan River. That's what he's doing. He's just he's teaching this. He's proclaiming this. And he calls those devout Jews a brood of vipers. Again, not a compliment. It's a rebuke. And then he goes on, and he says, at, right after the rebuke, bear with the fruit of repentance. And then he goes on and says, ah, you know what? I know what you guys are going to, I know what you religious people are going to say. You're going to tell me, oh, we're, we've got fancy hats. Our father is Abraham. 
And I started thinking about that. In fact, I looked it up and did some research on this. I think there's an important key here that we have to understand. Listen, was Abraham, was Abram, was he a Jew or a Gentile? Come on, Father Abraham, I mean, we get this whole thing, you know, all that. Was, was Abram, was he a Jew or a Gentile? He was a Gentile. He lived, in the, he lived in the same place that those wicked people tried to build the Tower of Babel. In Acts, it says that he was from the place of the Chaldeans. Listen, he was not a worshiper of Yahweh. He wasn't. He was, listen, and this, again, this all may sound so sanct so sacrilegious, so Abraham was a pagan. In Joshua, it says that he and his dad, Abraham and his dad, worshiped idols. That's what it says about it. And I was reading that, and I, I thought, wow, that sheds a whole new light on why God told him to pack up your tent, pack up your stuff, and move to a land. I'm not going to tell you where, but get out of there. I think half of it was he was leading him to the place where he wanted him to be. But I think the other, and possibly even the more important part, was you got to get out of this pagan land. You got to get out of this place of idol worship. You got to get out of this place where you have been bound up and where you have been religious in your pagan ideology. And look, if you look at what is it that the people of Israel, through the generations even still today have battled with time after time after time. They battled with the sins of good old father Abraham. Idolatry. And these guys are saying, we're of, he's, are you saying, hey, listen, don't, don't tell me that you are of the lineage of Abraham. Listen, I want you to see this. You know how God came to Abraham? He came in grace. He did not come because Abraham or Abram deserved it. He was a pagan worshiper, an idol worshiper. He came in the midst of a pagan nation to administer grace to a man that was worshiping idols to show his grace to this man. And he continued to show grace to him. God revealed himself in grace to him over a number of different times. And finally, it says that, that Abraham came to the place where he trusted and believed by faith that he was Lord. And because of that, not be, listen, if, if Abraham and, and the Jews today are setting their, their, they're, they're setting their hat on Father Abraham, what would have happened if Father Abraham would have camped on who his father was? God came to him in grace. And there came a moment when Abraham said, you know what? You truly are the Lord, and I trust in that. And I stand by faith that you are the Lord. And the Bible says it was credited to him as what? As righteousness. How did that righteousness come to Abraham? Not by his natural lineage. It came by grace. And grace alone. Not by his religion. The guy was a pagan. It came by him receiving the God who had come to him. 
And church, in the same way that Abraham, Father Abraham, came to know righteousness is the same way in which you and I come to know righteousness. By faith. It's not by your works. You cannot earn it. There's nothing you can do. It's by faith. It's by the works of Jesus, not by the works of man. It's not by how well you perform. It's not how well you keep the rules. It's by Jesus. Listen, I'll tell you this. It's certainly not by your perfection. It's only by his perfection. He's the only one that was born of a woman. Every single one of us is born of the seed of man. Jesus came forth and he had no sin nature. Therefore, he committed no sin. You and I, we have a sin nature and we have all sinned and fallen short, but only through Jesus Christ can we, by his grace, find forgiveness and find cleansing from the nature of sin that is within us. And church, when God deals with the nature of sin that is within us, we now have opened up the temple of the Most High to receive the Holy Spirit into our lives because the temple's been cleansed and now he empowers us by the filling of the Holy Spirit to begin to deal with the acts of sin. And that's the only way. And he's saying to these people, listen, you people, you got to know, you're going to tell me Abraham's your dad. But I want you to know, Abraham didn't trust in his dad. Abraham trusted in God the Father. And he's saying, you're not saved by birth. You can't say, you were, well, I was born into this. You're not saved by birth. In fact, Jesus tells us this. You must be born again. It doesn't matter who your earthly father is. It matters who your heavenly father is. And we're not saved by tradition. We're not saved by membership. We're not saved by, by uh, different religious functions. We're not saved by our traditions. We're not saved by our ancestors. We're not saved by race. We're not saved by what nation we live in. We are saved purely and simply through gra- by grace through our Savior, Jesus Christ, that John was sent to make a way to see those paths made straight. Church, listen, it's not about any of those things. And John is saying, if you make it about any of those things, you join the brood of vipers. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's only about Jesus. He's the only way. He's the only truth. And he's the only life. And no man will come to the Father except by, you guys, come on up, worship team. No one will come to the Father except by Him. So there's some questions that I need to ask you as we close this that you need to wrestle with, that, that you need to contend with. How did you come to Jesus? Did you come to Jesus through religion? Or was it by grace? Today, right now, right here, do you need to repent? Do you need to repent of the sin that you continually keep on entering into? By choice? Do you need to repent? of that sin and see that nature of sin, the condition of sin dealt with so you can finally, for maybe the first time, begin to contend with the acts of sin that you continued to walk in? Or maybe for some of you here, do you need to, listen, do you need to repent of your religion? Man, we live in a religious community, a religious society. 
And many people are raised up with religious traditions and religious backdrop to what it is that Jesus has done. And we need to realize that none of that backdrop has any, any kind of bearing on our salvation. It's only through Jesus Christ. And some of us have put our bearing. Well, I left the membership of another church and I just joined the membership of this church. Some of you need to repent. But whatever it is God's speaking to your heart to repent of. And church, did you receive Jesus by your good works? By your membership? By your attendance? Or was it by grace? When a loving God revealed himself to you in such a way that you knew that you had been changed, that you'd been transformed, that God had opened up your heart and that now things are different. The old is gone, the new has come. God has transformed my heart and thank you, Lord, for filling me up so that you could begin to transform my actions, my choices, my decisions. Thank you, Lord, that it is by your grace that this wilted old dead tree found new life new life in Christ Jesus my Lord and now Lord God as you fill me as you excite me as you begin to Father move in me as you begin to move through me I thank you Lord God that I don't have to depend on the leaves anymore I don't have to depend on the religious actions anymore Lord God you through the root are beginning to produce new fruit in me and I thank you for that today Lord that's grace that's grace. Will you bow your heads with me? Lord God, in the name of Jesus, we come to you today, Lord, and I pray, Lord God, have your way in each and every heart, in each and every life. Let us see, Lord God, the reality of who I am in your light, Lord. Not in the light of, of a church, not in the light of a religion, not in the light of a man or men or, or a system. Lord God, but who I am in the light of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Lord God, like David cried out, Lord, if there is any impure ways in me, reveal it to me, Lord that I might confess my sins to you and turn from my wicked ways to seek you, Lord. Where are you in this place with God today? In this message, is God speaking to your heart? Is God speaking to you and saying, you know what, you need to, get, you need to lay down your pride and, and you need to repent today of the sin in your life because it's going to cost you. And I've made a way for you. I've made a way out. And you've refused to take it. And you keep wandering around in the same little pig pen over and over again thinking you're going to get different results. I'm the gate. And I want to open the gate for you. And I want to make a way for you. Maybe today this is you and you need to say, Lord God, I repent. And you need to respond to him. Or maybe there's a place where you've put your faith in religion 
You put your faith in your good deeds, your good works, your, your, your this is and that. You, you put your faith in, in, in a prayer that had no bearing on your heart. If that's you today, you know, I don't, this is between you and God, but I do want to offer you the opportunity to respond to Him right here while every head is bowed and every eye is closed. If that's you today, I would love to just pray for you. Will you lift up your hand and let me know where you are? Praise you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, the Lord is working right here, right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, I can see the Holy Spirit moving on some of you, even right now. He is doing a great thing. God is moving in your life right now. Come on, just receive him. Just receive him. Just say, yes, Lord. I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord. I want that relationship, Lord. I want you to come into my heart, Lord. I want to be forgiven, Lord. I want to walk in pureness with you, Lord. I want to be with you, Lord. And I need you today. I repent, Lord. I repent of my sin. I repent, Lord God. Help me out. Fill me up. Help me to turn away from those wicked ways, Lord. And I just want to know that I'm following you because I want a life with you. A life that has no sorrows attached to it. A life, Lord, where I don't have to perform to know that I'm accepted. A life, Lord God, where when I fall, I know that you're there to pick me back up. That I don't have to be perfect because you're perfect. And you bore my imperfections. Say, come, Lord Jesus, come. Like this song says, come Lord Jesus. He's here. He is there. He is where, where two or more are gathered. There he is in the midst. Just say right now, Lord God, come, forgive me of my sins and I receive you into my heart. Cleanse me, Lord God. Oh Jesus, I receive the free gift that you made available for me today. Lord, I receive you. Come Lord Jesus. Come Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Jesus, move in us.
opportunity to do that, to pray with you, and if you would like that uh, or need that today, uh, we'll, we'll wait up here at the front. love for you to come and let us pray with you. For everyone else, church is not over. Church is about to begin. So you go out there and be the church that's alive. Go be the church that's awake. Go be the church that's risen. Go be the church that is willing to stand and to pray and to do what God's called us to do. Church is not over. Church is about to begin. Go be the church. Amen? God bless you. Don't forget, go be a part of a life group tonight. Have a great night. Have a great day. God bless you. I love you. We'll sing it as we go. Church.